Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Staples Center is no more. At least the letters outside of the building are no more. The Crypto.com Arena era is here. And what better way to christen this new crypt era than by beating the fucking Boston Celtics, Ennis Freedom, and Dennis the Menace. And that's exactly what the Lakers did. So one more time for Staples, and one new time for Crypto, Tommy. Last night's win was... Lit! It was lit! It was lit! So let freedom get kinged. Oh, man. That's Ennis Freedom and LeBron James, the king, to you for your information. That's the title of tonight's episode as well. Let freedom king. Anyways... I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, it is lit. The Lakers had their best win of the season unequivocally, objectively, last night versus the Boston Celtics. It was pretty much a blowout win, and can we finally get used to that? I don't know. I'll, <laughs> I'll cross my fingers. Regardless, the Lakers are now 13-12. and 12. They are sixth in the West, I believe tied with the Clippers record-wise. They are 4-2 and two over the last six games. Their two losses being that triple overtime debacle at home versus the Kings, and Friday night's hard-fought close game versus the Clippers, which they bungled in the end thanks to some very dubious late-game defensive scheming, but otherwise, they've been very competitive in all of their games recently. No coincidence that LeBron James being present for most of them has helped. The dude is averaging like 30 points over this stretch, 30 points in his last four out of five, 
So, Tommy, let's start here. Your quick vibe thoughts on last night's game. We can get into specific players in a second, but just statistics aside, are you feeling better about this team? What did you see from last night that the team did well as a whole? Because for me, again, throwing the stats to the side for a second and understanding how difficult this season has been mentally, watching it as a fan, uh, podcast-wise covering it as podcast hosts, for me, it was just fun from end to end. The bench was super lit. The player celebrations were awesome. Russ rocking the baby on Dennis Schroeder. Uh, bench guys like Dwight Howard, Kent Bazemore, and even Rajon Rondo, dudes who haven't played, uh, exploding off the bench and going crazy over Russell Westbrook's dunk. Russ playing to the crowd every moment he could get, uh, yapping at, you know, Ennis Freedom. I, the, the antics were back, and, and last night it didn't feel posery to me because I feel like a lot of this season when our guys have been celebrating, a lot of it felt very front-runnery. Yes. But last night, and maybe a lot of it is due to the fact that we had a dominant stranglehold over the Celtics for much of the game, but last night it felt like the good lit times were back again. And for a team that has looked lethargic and malcontent for much of the season, I think finding joy in basketball and in one another and reminding each other why we signed up for this in the first place is very, very important. So did you feel that same way as a fan? Um, I did. Yeah, I think overall, you know, when you're thinking you're mentioning overall vibes, right? Like, I think a lot of things, not a lot, okay, <laughs> I'll temper expectations, but a few things seem to be trending in the right direction. And in terms of overall team vibes, right? I think we see Westbrook has been really coming into his own. I mean, this guy is playing like a legit all-star. His efficiency stats are trending up. I mean, like we've always said, right? He is who he is as a three-point shooter. Like he's not suddenly going to become a 35% three-point shooter. So he is who he is there. But in general, his efficiency is trending up. His turnovers are trending down. He's still racking up assists despite the turnovers tracking uh, trending down. Um, playing solid defense, the overall defensive energy sustained over 48 minutes. That was the first time we saw that, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, one caveat, which I'm sure we talked about at some point um, in, a, in a previous episode here, was the team has is very old, okay? And although our schedule in terms of win-loss from last year of our opponents was fairly light, it was a pretty packed schedule. I mean, we played the entire month of November on, off, on, off, on, off without like two consecutive days of rest, which for a normal 82-game season is pretty rare. So that results in you getting this wonky like two games and seven-day stretch that we just had, right? So maybe the, you know, rest is a function or, or like, you know, is, is indicative of why we had so much energy, but it could also be the team just kind of finding its own and, and figuring out like, okay, we have to, uh, you know, we have to play this, this type of style if, if we're going to win. And so overall vibe, I think, you know, Westbrook kind of leading the charge of, of the whole team playing with a new sense of, of energy and, and, uh, frankly, common sense, um, which we can get into the details of as, as we go on. Yeah, for sure. It was just nice to see all the smiles from the guys and the cheering and the crowd play back and forth. LeBron James doing his like little double hop gymnastics landing after his tomahawk dunk, like all of that stuff fed off of each other. And it was for once just 
a totally fun game from end to end. Although obviously we are, we do have some nitpicky things that we want to point out as we usually do. We'll get to that a little later in the episode. Um, but game flow points, you know, we started Avery Bradley again, which we'll get to again. Um, AD at the five though, that helped. THT joined AD, LeBron, and Russell Westbrook. Avery Bradley being that second uh, guy on the start in the starting lineup who couldn't shoot. Why are you laughing? Uh, sorry. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Uh, because we'll get to Avery Bradley in a second. <laughs> but let's just say the Lakers started off down twenty to twelve, and then LeBron James started carrying us. He hit a three pointer, hit a tough reverse layup. I think the dude was like six of seven and had sixteen points in the first quarter. Uh, that coincided with Vogel inserting one more shooter into the lineup, Monk for Westbrook, although you probably should have been Monk for Avery because he's the real uh, useless culprit in mucking up the spacing. But regardless, uh, he inserted Monk for Westbrook, and immediately the Lakers went on a quick 7-0 run. Crazy how that happens, right? Uh, Ellington joined the fray uh, soon after, and then that's when we really started going. The energy and, and activity was so much better on, on both ends. And... Heading into the second half, that's when we really blew the game open in the third quarter. Some of my favorite plays, the LeBron Tomahawk jam with the gymnastics double hop landing off of the Anthony Davis lead pass. Uh, We obviously had the Malik Monk windmill dunk. And, you know, for me, I've been waiting for a lot of those Showtime-like plays from this team, and particularly Monk, who for the most part this year has been more of a shooter and less of the, you know, slam dunk champion ferocious dunker that we've sort of come to expect from him. So seeing him do that windmill dunk was really exciting. Um, Westbrook, as I mentioned, taking that high screen from Anthony Davis, zooming past multiple multiple defenders and jamming it down in traffic past Robert Williams was probably the capper of the night. He was super amped after that play, understandably so. Uh, Anthony Davis slithering on the baseline against Al Horford and getting through that like tough reverse layup high off the glass. Did you have any highlight plays that stuck out to you? Um, I think you covered most of them. The other one that's been going around on Twitter is Westbrook competing in the post on this defense against Al Horford yeah. and causing the turnover and then clapping in front of Ennis Cantor uh, or Ennis Freedom, whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that was a really good play as well. And he had several plays actually where he just snatched the rebound out of the air, took it coast to coast. And this is when Russell Westbrook is so lethal. Instead of you know, letting the defense off the hook on the opposing team's end, instead of pulling up for that mid-range jump shot in transition, he just literally takes it from one end of the court right down to the rim and lays it in or dunks the ball. And that's when you really feel the relentlessness of Russell Westbrook's motor and him really pushing the issue for us in a positive way, uh, which, which, which is why it's all the more frustrating when he decides to randomly pull up from like 15 feet when you know that he can do that from end to end. Regardless, just some really fun electric stuff. Anthony Davis also had this play in the third or fourth quarter where he drove it into three defender defenders into the paint and snuck through a whip pass to Westbrook for like an easy lay and That was super fun and cool to watch too in terms of uh, with regards to a ball movement perspective. So on the season as a whole, the Lakers are 20th in offensive rating and 15th in defensive rating. So there's a lot of improvement still to be desired there. They are 22nd in net rating overall with a minus 1.1. But over the Lakers' last five games, they are 7th in offensive rating with a 115 
and they are 10th in the in defensive rating with a 107.9. So we're starting to definitely trend upwards. And with regards to a stat that I sh- told you about before we started recording, on the year, the Lakers are 7th in terms of points in the paint. But over their last three, and maybe even over the last five, they are first in points in the paint. Over their last three, they're averaging 61 points in the paint, which is a really good number. Um, So let's talk about the big three really quick, Tommy, because last night was the one of the few nights where all of them were clicking on both ends. We've seen it where they've all scored, you know, like 25 plus points or whatever, and those have been fun, but we've barely eked out a win. But last night, the reason why we kind of blew the Celtics out was we also brought the effort on the other end. And I know Anthony Davis looked kind of slow and loafing in the first half. I don't know what was going on. It kind of felt like he's he has that holiday brain uh, going on as we head into the Christmas season. I, I think we all probably feel that, uh, if, especially if you work in an office or whatever, or even just work from home, right? The You know the holidays are coming up, Christmas is coming up, and you just want to eat good food, hang out with friends. I don't know if that's what's going on with Anthony Davis, but for whatever reason, in the first half, he was um, somewhat scheme-related. But, I mean, Robert Williams was dunking the hell all over him (laughs) with these crazy alley-oop jams, and he just looked very clunky and, like, Kwame-esque. But anyways, the good news is, second half, he looked a hell of a lot different. He was competing on the defensive end. He was causing a lot of havoc, like blocking Marcus Smart and throwing him to the ground, uh, leading the fast break with his defense, and then also kind of looking frisky on the offensive end, taking dudes off the dribble. That Al Horford play where he hit that ridiculous, you know, reverse layup is a play to note because, you know, we were talking about how, oh man, he looks beefed up and it looks like he's hurting. It's, it's hurting his overall game, but I don't know. Maybe it's also just a mentality thing too. I, I, for sure, it... Anthony Davis's, you know, amassing more bulk is definitely affecting him. But I remember in the preseason when we were like, yo, he's bulked up, but he still looks fast. So I think it's more recency bias that we're like, oh, he's so buff and he's making him unable to move. I don't even think that's the case. I, I think we're just in the middle of the season and at the point where it's the holiday season. He may be thinking about that. He may be hitting somewhat of a wall. But regardless, we saw, you know, the tale of two Anthony Davises, and he came back with a vengeance in the second half. His defense led the charge, but I could say the same about, you know, Westbrook. You mentioned him playing defense in the post, but he did that really well all throughout the night, including, you know, face guarding Jason Tatum and really harassing him on the perimeter as well. Um, And then LeBron James, you know, not much needs to be said. 16 points held us afloat to start the game, and we randomly had Avery Bradley in there for some reason. Uh, 16 points in the first quarter, 30-plus points in four of the last five games. He's hitting what would be a career-high 2.83s a game this season, actually. That's obviously going to regress to the mean as most of LeBron James' hot three-point stretches do. But it's good to know that currently we're in the midst of one of LeBron James' very good three-point shooting stretches. Um, So overall, last night, though, as I mentioned, it's just like, all three of those guys were firing on all cylinders on both ends. So what did you see from the big three rising? Yeah, it's, you know, AD is interesting. And I he, he catches a lot of flack for this, and maybe some of it is deserved. But he's got this, like, and we've talked about this before, he's kind of just got this, like, attitude about playing in some of these, uh, some of these regular season games where it just he he comes out feeling super flat and and in a lot of games like this he tends to just settle for jump shots i mean 
I will give him credit for this one because over the course of the game, he sort of felt it up. You could see him sort of feeling it out and, and getting himself more amped up and able to perform at a high level, certainly in the second half. But it was a little bit clunky. But, you know, we, we started the game kind of clunky and we had three nights off. And in the NBA, you know, there is such a thing as, you know, there's there's not enough not enough uh, rest sometimes. Sometimes there's too much rest. So maybe too much rest and, and eventually he got going. But yeah, I guess I I just personally, I can't say enough about Russell Westbrook and how good he mm-hmm. has looked. Um, yeah. Considering how bad he was, especially the first 10 or 12 games of the season, the last, uh, last few weeks, he has just been like remarkable. This is his overall season efficiency numbers, okay? He's shooting 45% from the field, which is the third highest of his career or so, right? Third or fourth highest of his career. And that is trending up because he was like 38%, you know, for that first 10-game stretch or so. Um, He's hitting 32% from three on only four attempts. Look, he's not a three-point shooter, but he's going to get the shot sometimes. Um, And if he can hit one open corner three, you know, out of the four, if if he's limiting his attempts to four, I think we can live with this, okay? Mm -hmm. His free throw shooting, he was shooting like 55% in that first 10 games of the season. He's up to 69% and again, trending up. Um, I mentioned assists or, uh, you know, assists and and rebounds are, you know, it's kind of stable where they were earlier in the season, but the turnovers are trending down. He's down to 4.6, which... It's still a lot, okay? But if he can get that to, like, the low fours, that would be the lowest he's had since his usage took off pretty much in, let's see, 2013-14 season. Um, So, you know, we're talking about, like, less turn. He's right now about where he was with Houston and and some more, uh, more recent years, like, with Washington. But if he can get that even lower, that would be great. His usage is down to the lowest it's been at since he was a second-year player um, on OKC. It, it just, like, everything is, is uh, you know, trending in the right direction. Um, and I, I just can't be, you know, happier with what I've seen from him. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but when you put together a big three like this, right, it's so funny how, like, the Twitter... Uh, timeline or not timeline, the Twitter narrative becomes like, oh, they have LeBron, they have AD, they have Russell Westbrook, and they still need all those guys to play well to win. It's like, well, yeah, that's the whole team, though. <laughs> you know, what I mean? it's like you have those three guys, and then you have a bunch of minimum guys. So it's like, yeah, of course, Malik Monk has been playing well, and um, Wayne Ellington has looked good for us, and Melo has looked good for us. But of course, we're not relying on those guys to carry the team. That was the whole point of going with this three superstar thing. So all three stars, unsurprisingly, you know, since they're 120% of our salary cap, like they need to be playing at a high level for us to win. Westbrook is now holding up his end of the bargain for sure. Like AD is as, you know, he continues to get his efficiency up is holding up his end of the bargain and has been holding up his end of the bargain this season. And now that LeBron is slowly kind of getting integrated here, um, and getting himself ramped up a little bit more, maybe he gets into better shape and, and starts holding up his end of the bargain too. So it's like the big three playing well is going to be a constant staple of us winning. Um, and, and I don't know that anybody listening to this podcast has this thought, right? But there are going to be a lot of people with this attitude of like, 
Oh, well, the big three, yeah, of course they won because the, all the big, it took the big three playing really well to win. It's like, yeah, but that's the point of the big three, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, so anyway, I think everyone is moving in the right direction among those guys. And if those three are playing at a high level for the rest of the season, we're going to make some noise and, and contend for a top four seed in the West, I think. Yeah. I mean, oh, Mike Braun has been holding up his end of the bargain since his return from that random safe health and safety protocols right. little hiatus. Um, but I think, so one thing, I think it'll level out eventually, right? Right now, LeBron James has helped stem the tide for us as Westbrook has gotten himself acclimated and as Anthony Davis continues to try to find his jump shot. Um, but, I mean, one cause of concern or maybe worry is that LeBron James free throw rate has gone down a lot of that is also due to the refs but that's you can say that every year um and right now he's living off of three-point shooting right and we know that's going to regress to some point so i just hope that eventually lebron james gets his legs underneath him and and as we play the lebron at five micro ball unit a little bit more that that will sort of spur on his relentless driving game as well although he had some really nifty um forays into the paint for some reverse layups and stuff, although those were in semi-transition last night. But we'll see if he can get back to, you know, bully ball LeBron even in half-court situations. But just something of note that he's very perimeter-oriented this season. I think he's taking like a career high, like eight attempts from three, right? So you don't want to fall into that trap necessarily. But all in all, I think the overall summary here is even as they're working through the kinks, even though they're working the kinks out right now, it's slowly starting to take form in terms of the cohesion between these three and with regards to Russell Westbrook you even saw him a couple of times working off ball and LeBron James finding him for these easy lay-ins right so you're starting to see all of them sort of ping pong back and forth in positive ways and seeing that chemistry start to come together which is really exciting because as the big three go the Lakers go uh with that oh also last thing before I take it to break this is via StatMuse, which typically likes to throw out stats that disparage the Lakers. But last night, they had to put this out. Um, Russell Westbrook in his last eight games is averaging 23.5 points, seven rebounds, nine assists on 50% from the field, 36% from three, and 72% from the free throw line. He is a plus 39 in that span, the highest plus minus by a Lakers starter. Dang. So Russell Westbrook trending in the right direction, the big three trending in the right direction and we just have to hope that everybody will follow suit along with them which i think is natural we will take it to break and when we return we will talk about tht and um starting lineup configurations all right so we're back let's talk about tail and horton tucker because let's talk about tht <laughs> nice <laughs> So a lot of people on Twitter, Lakers fans included, or mainly Lakers fans, have been pulling their hair out with, you know, kind of the wild, erratic play that he's shown us since LeBron has been in and out of the lineup, but more specifically since LeBron has been back in the lineup. Uh, last night's game, everybody is going to have etched in their mind that last fourth quarter where he was, I think, one of five. But that happened largely. His stint in the fourth quarter, pretty much garbage time. He played like garbage, but that was without the big three flanking him. He didn't have those guardrails in the big three, and so he had the ball in his hands. And I feel like right now, THT is in this zone and mode of trying to learn how to be 
kind of like Kyle Kuzma's growth development, right? When when Frank Vogel came to this team and Anthony Davis was, we traded for Anthony Davis. Kyle Kuzma went from being this guy who had the ball in his hands for much of the time to all of a sudden having to find ways to be effective without the ball. And right now, THT is in that mode. So if he has to flip back and forth within one game, you can expect some wild swings. And in the fourth quarter, he got the ball in his hands again, and you can probably bet he was feeling kind of frisky with it and wanted to do stuff with it, even though for much of the game, he had played a very solid and controlled game where he wasn't doing too much. All of a sudden, it was back to old THT, and he's like, okay, let me just channel what I used to do, and it didn't work out for him where he was just wildly driving it into the lane, etc. But having said that, wild garbage time fourth quarter notwithstanding if you take that away he was actually four of nine from the field whenever he was playing with the big three um and when he was with the big three he was finding ways to be effective and that mainly meant offensively he provided the starters with a relentless off ball moving outlet he kept himself in motion finished well on the move uh even in spite of the fact that his jump shot still isn't falling um He found those creases in the lane. He dove at the right spots, finished well. And then defensively, um, he held his own against Tatum for a couple possessions. He'll still get really bad calls called against him because right now he's still undisciplined. Um, But he had that really nice play against Dennis Schroeder in the lane where he uh, knocked the ball out of his hands and then blocked Dennis Schroeder after he regained control. Um, But for me, I think last night was a good... And also if you include the Clippers game as well, because I I felt like he played solidly on both ends as well. For me, the metric I'm using with regards to THT is like, how well is he fitting in with this big three? Yes, we wish he could shoot better from the outside, et cetera, et cetera. But considering that he hasn't even played with the big three for more than, I want to say five or six games, because LeBron James, even when he got back into the lineup, had to go out again because of the health and safety protocol. So he's only really had six games to integrate himself with the big three. It feels like all of a sudden, like, THT was out for the preseason for, like, the first month of the season, and then he had those three really stellar games to start out, and then all of a sudden Vogel's like, all right, you're in the starting lineup, we're going to depend on you to be our, our wing defender, and also you have to integrate yourself with the big three. THD is a dude who just turned 21. He has only played 83 total regular season games in his entire NBA career. And it's going to take some time for him to figure this out. Given all of those caveats, for him to already be figuring it out in this capacity and being a good off-ball player, to me is why I'm not too worried that Frank Vogel is sticking with THD in the starting lineup. I'm actually glad that Frank Vogel is forcing the issue because... For me, it's uh, it's sink or swim time for THT and this organization. Like, we need to see what we have in him, even if it's somewhat hamstringing us to start games or even, you know, even if it's putting THT in unfavorable positions for his style of play. Because obviously we'd all agree, yeah, if you put THT off the bench, then he can do whatever he wants, sort of, and play with the ball. But every everybody knows, including us, obviously, but more specifically, the entire league knows what THT can do with the ball. I think what we're trying to see is, can he also be an effective player without the ball? Can he be a winning player, an all-around player? Um, Because at the end of the day, like, if a team trades for THT, uh, they know what they're going to get in terms of him being a high-usage player who's going to turn the ball over some plays, but have highlight reel plays uh, on other possessions. But 
is he just going to be that Jordan Clarkson six-man type bench player, or is there something more to him? And right now, we're trying to figure that out, and so that's going to take some time, which is why I agree with uh, Frank Vogel sticking with THT in the starting lineup and why I am not freaking out over every wild foray into the lane that THT takes, which, again, is being mitigated whenever you see LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook out there with him. Um, So what are your thoughts on THT in the starting lineup so far? And then we can get to um, the other guy later. (laughs) So in terms of THT overall, and I'll get to him starting in a second, but he played 65 games for us. Okay, so I'm just trying to like look for any positive in what we've seen so far because subject, you know, Abari, or I guess his first two games back from his injury, he looked pretty good. And it's been a pretty severe downturn since then. Okay, so THT's minutes are obviously up significantly. It's a small sample size so far, 12 games, but his minutes are up, his field goal attempts are up. His field goal percentage is way down even his three-point percentage is way down and his attempts Mm -hmm. are nearly double um but there are some things right that that give you a glimmer of hope his free throw shooting on the same again small sample size but same number of attempts about two a game that he had last year he's so far shooting 91 percent um his rebounds in you know he's playing a little more a little bit more minutes this year but He's doubled his rebounds. He's he's averaging 5.2 rebounds a game. His assists are fine. His turnovers is not excessive. His scoring is a little bit up, although we've mentioned his poor efficiency. I think I'm probably in the camp of overly critical on THT, you know, given what he's done so far this season. Um, it's been 12 games, okay? A normal season, right? And his, his season's even going to be shortened because he had that hand surgery coming into it. But... A normal season's 82 games. We still have like 58 games or whatever we have left, right? So he's got tons of time to turn this around. Um, literally, he's 12 games. If he plays a 10-game stretch where he is playing decent, that's half a season now he's been playing decent, right? So there's time. I don't necessarily agree with the notion that he should be starting, okay? And, and I get... That if he's not starting, it might be hot, it might be hard to find him these development minutes that I think he very critically needs. Um, so that's why I'm not super super opposed to it. But you know, I, I think THT's fit on this team is less about until he can show that he can consistently knock down a three an open three point catch and shoot shot. I think his value to this team is defensive energy off the bench, another guy who can handle the ball off the bench. And if you have to throw him out there with the big three, he can hold his own. Um, I don't think THT's role is, you know, playing 30 minutes a game, but 25 of those minutes where he'd be useful, he's playing with LeBron or Westbrook. Like not saying that those guys or both and not saying that those guys like should only be be the only ball handler on the court at the time, but we have other guys who can handle the, I mean, Malik Monk can handle the ball a little bit. Um, We sometimes throw the ball to the, into Carmelo who can get his own offense going uh, without help sometimes. So you know, we have other guys this year who can kind of do some things. Kendrick Nunn when he comes back. Um, and so, you know, I, I I think it is sort of a waste of everyone's time in some ways to put THT out there with other guys who are going to have the ball in their hands. And 
it, look, if he's doing what he did in the first half of the game last night, or maybe even first three quarters, like you mentioned, um, cutting off the ball, doing things like that to figure out how to make himself useful ar- ar- around the big three, that's different. But I think his game is, and, and this is not anything against him, he's just a young player, but he's not reading and reacting that quickly yet still, right? So he doesn't know when is it time for him to attack, when is it time to, for him to t- try to play make, when is it time for him to catch and shoot or catch and drive. Like, you know, all of those things, you just sort of see him going through these, like, mental processes where he's just, like, a step slow on everything. Um, and he'll get there. But I think it might make more sense, especially in terms of him starting to develop his confidence in his offensive game, um, to give him some minutes where he's not just playing with LeBron and Westbrook, and he maybe has a little bit more space and freedom to do what he wants to get himself into a rhythm. It might be the case that after an 82-game season, THT is actually the best starter around those three guys, um, just because his length and... I mean, this guy's averaging a steal and nearly a block a game, which is crazy for like a 6'4 guard or however Mm -hmm. tall he is. So he's doing some things. um, But... I think he, because, he, because he's a young player, most young players get activated on both ends of the floor if their offense is working well. And I don't know that THT is going to have the chance to really get his offense going if he's playing with these starters. And I think it's, again, maybe unsurprising his best two games of the season so far were like <clears throat> his first two games back from injury and LeBron was out for both of those. So... um yeah, I, I guess I'm not like overall super, super down on THT, but I think he needs to improve quite a bit. And I think he can do that if he gets more reps off the bench. So all I think all of those are fair points, in, especially the one where you talked about him needing to be energized off his own offense. But I think whether he's off the bench or starting on this team, as we've seen with how up and down Malik Monk has been, Wayne Ellington has been, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that's going to happen. We've seen this with Kyle Kuzma as well. So for me, it's like, I don't think he's going to be starting the entire rest of the season. I just think you need a stretch where you try all that out. So you gather information and see what you have. Because whether it's keeping THT uh, for this year and onward, or even seeing him as more than just a bench player, you need to see whether he can be a winning player. It's a lot to ask of a 21-year-old kid, a guy who just turned 21. And I think... Given what we've seen, even though it's been a roller coaster ride, if you actually contextualize, it's literally been seven games. So I counted it seven games that he's been with the big three. And he's been tasked to do this job of kind of fitting himself in while also not being optimized the best either, because he's been in lineups with Dwight Howard and again, Avery Bradley. Given all those things, looking at the third quarter and the Clippers game that we saw, I feel like this kid is picking up really quickly. And he's like, you know, putting the foot off the gas pedal. He's attacking on the move. That's when he knows to attack, you know, like he's not. And I think Frank Vogel is actually helping him. He's drawing off ball plays for Anthony Davis to screen his guy so that he can roll around the paint, get that pass from Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, where it's just up to him to do his crafty finishes. And he doesn't need to make those decisions with the ball where he like, you know, gets an offensive foul or whatever. And I think he's picking up really well. And I think the catch-and-shoot three will eventually come. It's just a matter of 
look, this is a role shift for him and he's adjusting to it. And given the fact that Frank Vogel has made these types of experiments with players like DeAndre Jordan and Avery Bradley for 20 games on dudes who you don't get any long-term benefit from experimenting with DeAndre Jordan and Avery Bradley, at the very least for a guy like THT, I can say, at the end of all of this, whether we stick with him as the starter or keeping off the bench or keep him off the bench, like we're going to know something. Yeah. We're going to know whether is THT suited to be a starter in the NBA or not. And so I think this is very necessary for this team to go through these growing pains, especially with the big three here. So you sort of have like a, a safety net to fall back on. But again, I, I mentioned everybody knows who THT is at this point, and that includes if you want to treat him as a trade asset. So the rest of the league knows, kind of like with Kyle Kuzma, right? All right, this guy can score. If you put him on a bad team, he's going to soak up all the usage, and he's going to average 19 points on 42% from the field and get four turnovers a game, right? What the Lakers are doing for their benefit, but also potentially for the benefit of guys who want to trade for him is, look, we're turning this guy into a well-rounded player. We'll see how he progresses in this trial run. And for me, it's worth it to do that, especially right now. And given if you did that with DeAndre Jordan and Avery Bradley, two guys who you like, there's no benefit in experimenting, you know, 15 to 20 games with them. For me, it's like there is a benefit experimenting for like a 15, 20 game stretch with THT as a starter, even if he's just a placeholder for Trevor Ariza or something, you know? Yes. And I think a big you know, summary of what you're saying here is like, although maybe in the short term we suffer a little bit, there is at least a goal. There's like a goal, overarching goal yes. here. Like if if we lose some games or whatever, we go through some stretch where maybe maybe THT isn't ideally the, you know, we start to really see that, okay, maybe he's not the ideal fit. There's an end game in the sense that we're paying this guy $10 million still. And like he is, yeah. you know, on a team with three superstars, whether or not he's ready on, you know, December, whatever it is today, you know, like it is one thing, but it's about getting him ready for March, April and May and beyond maybe. Right. So it, it, it is at least a short term, maybe a short term loss for a potential long-term gain. Whereas sometimes we've seen Frank and, and the coaching staff make some maneuvers with the rotations that, don't really seem to have any long-term benefit, um, but we'll discuss. Let, no, let's pivot there right now. All right? The Avery Bradley <laughs> challenge. <laughs> oh, that, why, that's who okay. you're talking about? Yeah. So can I ask you why Avery Bradley played 24 minutes? Yeah, he's our best player, on top dude. of that, apparently you feel his presence even when he's off the court. <laughs> why, well, why did he play the entire third quarter? I think he played the entire third <laughs> He definitely did. It felt like it if he didn't. But then he like didn't play at all in the fourth. It was so weird. Okay, so I will get... Okay, this is not about us hating on Avery Bradley. Uh, because, look, he did some good things in the third quarter, right? He, like, he hustled. He played good defense. Yes. Like, he was in concert with what the rest of the team was doing. I get it. Frank likes his energy, likes his activity and hustle. He's using him as a poster boy for how he wants all of his small guards to play. I understand that. But you know what? That made sense when the team had three out of their five small guards all injured, you know? Uh, that made sense when he was the only one, the, the, the 15th guy, non-guaranteed player. We weren't even supposed to have a 15th guy. It made sense to put him out there. But this is this is getting ridiculous because... 
Austin Reeves is back. I consider Austin Reeves as part of the future. I mean, it may not be like a long-term future, but this dude was a guy who was playing what? In closing lineups, we relied on Austin Reeves. Do you remember that? In the first 10 games or so, we were actually closing with Austin Reeves. So you tell me why now can't we play Austin Reeves instead of Avery Bradley? Because... We, I've hinted at it. You just mentioned it. There is no long-term benefit to continuing to play Avery Bradley and put him out there for even 10 minutes a game, let alone 24 minutes. To me, it's just a, an utter misuse of the time right yes. now because you potentially put yourself in a bottleneck situation in the future because these are minutes. These are actual like precious minutes that could be going to, instead of Avery Bradley, Wayne Ellington. Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, because you know soon Kendrick Nunn's going to come back and eat up those minutes. Trevor Ariza for sure is going to come back sooner. And by that point, that's default less minutes to go around for everybody. So in the interim, when you have the minutes available, Avery's minutes, give them all to guys who matter, the guys who are guaranteed contracts. And that even includes Kent Bazemore, right? Like, so, I mean, go ahead. Well, the main problem I have with the Avery Bradley narrative, right, is there's just no way you can reasonably rationalize any any perspective on this, right? Like, so, for a team that started the season 29th in defense, okay, after the first, like, three games or whatever, right, we were, like, 29th, Um if you want to make an argument to me at that point in the season, like, well, Avery Bradley hustles and I'm trying to show these like veterans who don't play any defense or have never had to play defense or like in the case of Malik Monk, a young guy who's never had to play defense, that they if they don't play defense, they're not going to be getting rotation minutes. We're now 25 or whatever games into the season. Um, it's not even the case that we like don't necessarily know what we have. Other guys, like you mentioned, are going to be on this team beyond Avery Bradley, theoretically. I mean, you know, fingers crossed, I guess. But, you know, (laughs) but beyond that, they're also better than Avery Bradley is defensively. I mean, just like the morning of, you know, the day that we recorded this, uh, Cran just had posted some stats, right? And his analytics are, I don't know how he he makes them up, right? But, but, but like, they're they're based (laughs) on real uh, metrics to some degree. So... And they're frankly, I don't know how accurate. It's impossible to say how accurate any analytic is, but I will say when you look at them, they seem to align with expectations and what you see on the court. So he has Avery. You know his his metrics have Austin Reeves and Kent Bazemore expectedly ranked fairly high. His metrics also have Avery Bradley ranked as a pretty mediocre perimeter defender. And I think that kind of is what we see, right? Like, it, it's not even the case that some of these guys who are historically bad defenders, like Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington, like, those guys are trending up in the defensive metrics as they've gotten into a system where Frank Vogel has kind of proven, like, for all the flaws he has, right, which, frankly, I don't know that he has that many, but he has seriously, obviously some flaws. Every coach is flawed. One thing he has consistently shown is if you are willing to buy in, he will take the worst defensive metric player in the entire NBA, and if that person is willing to compete, he'll get them to at least, like, average. And if you look at the advanced metrics, he took two of, like, the worst, I mean, like, by by the analytics over the past few seasons, Wayne Ellington and Malik Monk were 
in the bottom five, I think, in terms of perimeter defense for their position. And now they're average and below average, like slightly below average, right? So, and that's trending up. And by the way, those guys are not that far behind where Avery Bradley, who's supposed to be this like defensive stop, right? Or like brings all this energy. I'm like, it just doesn't make any sense from a long-term perspective, from a short-term perspective. I'm not really sure what we're doing. This guy's... Well, sorry, to to add to that, not from a short-term, not from a long-term, but also if you're talking about trying to develop THT in the right way and see what you have with him in the starting lineup, it doesn't help that you add another non-shooter next to him. Like, it's not... It's not even enough to talk about, you know, like he's Avery Bradley doesn't help the spacing between LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. Like he's actively hurting what we can, the the info that we can gain from THT as a starter, you know? Right. Right. No, he is. And, and, but it's hurting like just a lot of, yeah, a lot of different looks when you put him out there with the starters. Now THT doesn't have like really doesn't have the spacing, right? It's like you look at the starting lineup we put out last night, okay? You know it's going to be the big three. And if all the coaches acknowledge, which I think Vogel did in his pregame, that like they know that AD being at the five is going to be their best chance of winning, you know you're going to have those three guys. You're kind of coming into it with three non-shooters. Like I know LeBron is like an average shooter and because of his volume, maybe a little bit above average in, in terms of overall impact as a perimeter shooter, but... I frankly view that as you're coming in with three non-shooters. Coaching staff had not admitted that like Trevor Reza probably would have been the fourth guy if they went with the the AD at the five lineup mm-hmm. um, because of his size and length. So if you want to say like THT, whatever, for now, we'll plug him in there as the starter while Ariza's recovering and you know that he'll be the filler and then Ariza can come back. It's still like it's not helping anything from that perspective because you're putting Avery Bradley. I mean, he's hurting everybody on that starting lineup. Yeah. Russell Westbrook is impacted by playing with a perimeter guy like Avery Bradley as opposed to a guy like Malik Monk or Wayne who can who can spread the floor and and take some of the pressure away from him. LeBron is being negatively impacted. Taylor Horton Tucker, as he's looking to develop and find his own, is becoming ne- negatively impacted because we have a guy out there who can't do anything. <laughs> on a, I mean, on, like, frankly, on either end, on offense, he is very below average. I mean, he is, he's like probably the second worst player on our team besides DeAndre Jordan, right? I, on offense and, and on defense, again, he's not the worst player on, in, in the league. He's not the worst player on our team. He's an average player overall, but, he is at, look at how much effort this guy is putting out to just barely be average as a perimeter defender. Okay. We're not talking about like Avery Bradley is, has these fundamentals or this like innate, like basketball defensive IQ that is helping him. And he's, he's acting as like a sort of defensive coordinator on the floor. Like, no, he's average and his measurables don't help his case. I mean, he, you know, Westbrook is already a fairly small guard, and we're putting next to him a guy who's six one, who looks like he's five eleven. Okay, and and you yeah. know he's not providing any resistance. While we have guys sitting on the bench, like again, Ken Bazemore, I don't know what happened there. Frankly, this whole season has been such a whirlwind, and every there's been so many things that have been messed up about it. I feel like we're kind of ignoring the fact that Ken Bazemore <laughs> went from starting the season like as a starter for the first 10 games or whatever to literally being completely frozen out of the rotation. And this is, it's wild. And this isn't like a Deandre Jordan situation 
like Ken Bazemore was playing pretty good defense. Like he was certainly, yeah. he was competing, you know? Okay. Yes. He was not giving us anything offensively. That is a problem, but Avery Bradley is also not giving us anything offensively. So between those two, I'm taking the guy with the length because when it comes time to playoff season, right? The West, the backcourts in the West are loaded. You have Steph and clay by the time the playoffs start and beyond clay, Jordan Poole and whoever, the Warriors have like a million guards, right? And then you have Devin Booker and Chris Paul, plus campaign off the bench. You have Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Um, I don't know who else. I, you, you're going to have Jamal Murray and uh, whoever the Nuggets have left on their team, you know, who hasn't been injured at that point. You know, like the West teams are going to be loaded at the at the guard spots and, you know, the wing spots with Luka and, and guys like that. So... Paul George, wherever the Clippers end up in, in, you know, April, May, and June, if we make it that far, a guy like Kent Bazemore is going to have more value to this team than a guy who's six one and I guess tries hard, you know? So it's just like, it's, it's very, very perplexing. Kent Bazemore hit a very a good clip of threes last year. I don't understand how we came to this conclusion of, you know, well, he's not playing well for the first 10 games offensively, so we're going to look to something else. You know, if, again, if you want to make the argument that, well, that's when Malik and Wayne came back from their injuries and Vogel wanted to get them more time, fine. But at the expense of Bazemore, it should have been at the expense of Avery Bradley. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. It's like it, there's no yeah. justification with all the metrics of how poorly Avery Bradley's been playing to continue to play him at this point. And the last thing I'll say is he was a plus four in the game last night, which I'm sure Vogel was like, you know, very excited to see, but we were a plus 11 while he was on the bench. So you know, it's like, we were still better with him on the yeah. bench. Um, even in a game where he didn't play like affirmatively horrific. Yeah. And look, Kent Bazemore actually started off the year hitting threes. I think he was like nine for his first 20, okay? The, the next 10 after that, he couldn't hit a, a shot. But it's like, it's not like he's totally useless. Like, you, you totally give up on him at that point. Regardless, let's not even talk about Kent Bazemore because Austin Reeves, the way Frank Vogel has treated Austin Reeves yeah. is the way that he should be treating Avery Bradley in terms of, okay, we need you for this stretch, so you're going to play. Once everybody's healthy, you're not going to play. The most ironic part, though, is Austin Reeves doesn't deserve to be benched and not and have all his minutes taken away from him because if you used him for the first you know, 10 to 15 games of the season and trusted him enough to close games, what did he, des- what did he do to deserve not getting any minutes and especially not getting any minutes because of Avery Bradley outside of he's young Avery Bradley's a veteran. I know his resume. And so I think that's the most frustrating part, too, because if you look at it, Austin Reeves is ready now. He's proven that he's ready now. He's closed games for us, and we needed his defense and his offensive play. Like, it's, it's, it boggles my mind how much better he is offensively than Avery Bradley. You know, like, he can, hit, he can hit guys off the dribble and do these turnaround jump shots and stuff, pull-up jump shots. Talking about pull-up jump shots, what about that? Avery Bradley in transition pull up with 18 seconds left where he hit all glass. My God, that was, yeah. I was like, cut this guy right now. I don't care. <laughs> I cut cut right right now. That shot. Like, dude, like what play Austin Reeves, give him some of those minutes because this is, this is a guy who you can 
have on your team long-term for potentially cheap. These are crucial developmental minutes that this guy could be using, let alone he could help your team in the short term and the long term, etc. He's like a useful player. And so we're just all kind of toiling and wasting away our time right now watching Avery Bradley get 24 minutes. But I will end this episode, Tommy, with a devil's advocate. <laughs> devil's advocate reason for why Avery Bradley is starting. Are you ready for this? Yes. So we talked about how THT may be a placeholder for Trevor Ariza, but what if Avery Bradley is the placeholder for Trevor Ariza? I know they're totally different players, but in terms of what they can give you offensively, which is just not much, but maybe spot up from three, obviously Trevor Ariza you trust more from the outside, but you're relying on them to be your three and D defenders. And I know Avery Bradley is a way, way smaller version than Trevor Ariza, but theoretically, you, you can swap them both out there. Play 80 at the 5, LeBron at the 4, Ariza at the 3, THT at the 2, Westbrook at the 1. I know the spacing's all mucked up, whatever, but it's mucked up right now with Avery Bradley. But in that sense is, if Trevor Ariza fixes everything, and, he's just, and Avery Bradley is just the placeholder there for him, and he goes back to the abyss once Trevor Ariza returns then does that make a little bit more sense? No, uh, because <laughs> Trevor Ariza is six foot seven with a seven foot wingspan and fills up, even if he's... I, I know. But by my point is, again, it's like, even if a guy... This is just my opinion. Even if you're going to say a guy like Kent Bazemore or a guy like Trevor Ariza is not going to give you anything more than what Avery Bradley is giving you offensively, this isn't like a situation, right? I, I feel like we're treating Avery Bradley like he's Alex Caruso. Like, okay, Alex Caruso, when he wasn't giving you any points and he couldn't make a wide-open shot to save his life or whatever, right? Like, you knew that you were putting out a top-five perimeter defender in the entire league to go out there and, and create havoc. And so you live with the downside. The problem with Avery Bradley is his defense isn't even that good, so... All things being considered, you know, all things being equal, assuming Ariza is not going to give you more than whatever Avery's averaging, like four points or five points a game, like assuming Ariza is not going to give you more than that, assuming Bazemore is not going to give you more than that, at least they have length, okay? And their length is going to come into play, you know, especially on a team that has been suffering on the defensive glass. Okay, the length comes into play tapping around rebounds. And the length is going to come into play in the playoffs when we're going to play a lot of long wings and Avery Bradley's a non-factor in those types of matchups. So, you know, this kind of, this stuff has to be cleaned up. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, look, here, here's my point with Avery Bradley. Avery, uh, Frank Vogel is handicapping himself so much that by the time that Trevor Ariza swaps in for Avery Bradley's <laughs> It's Bradley just going to be such a boon. Exactly. This is the point I'm getting at where it's like, Let's say he puts Wayne Ellington into the starting lineup. We're going to look so good, right? And then when he has to make that decision to go with what he initially planned, even though I know Wayne Ellington was in the initial starters list or whatever, but let's say he wants to keep THT in the lineup, then there's no debating. Oh, yeah, Trevor Ariza in the starting lineup. That works a hell of a lot better than Avery Bradley. Uh, that's super galaxy brain type shit. But honestly, you just mentioned all the reasons why Trevor Ariza is an automatic upgrade on Avery Bradley. So who's going to argue if Trevor Reza starts off the bat? So, I don't know. Um, let's leave it there. I don't want to keep belaboring the point. We get where we're all going with regards to Avery Bradley. Cut him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, with that said, good times are here at last. We just have a few little 
you know, things to clean up, as Tommy mentioned, screws to tighten, and everything is seemingly correctable at this point, which, you know, we weren't singing this same tune, you know, even just a week or two ago. And honestly, we weren't even singing the same tune after watching the Clippers game. We were like, wow, our, our coach is actively sabotaging uh, us from getting a win right now, you know? But I think it's all starting to crystallize. The big three is starting to form. And as guys see each other start to gain a rhythm for themselves and get gain confidence, you know, that type of stuff is infectious. And I think we saw it last night. And that type of stuff can bleed not only into other players within a game, but bleed into a season because Lord knows we could use any sort of momentum um, from a lifeless, lethargic start that we can get. So we can only hope for more of that as well as Frank Vogel continuing to, as he gets more and more healthy bodies and the roster starts to look like the one that we initially constructed in the offseason, Frank Vogel starts to just have all the pieces in front of him and more intuitive decisions are made and we don't have to deal with starting the 15th unguaranteed guy on this roster. So, yeah, uh, I think positive things ahead, the best is yet to come. With that said, we will catch you guys next time. And, uh, Tommy, I'll catch you later. Catch you on the flippity flip. Catch you on the flippity flip, my friends. See ya. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 